Before we begin, let us all take a moment to bring our hands together to pay homage to the most magnificent teacher, he who is our guide, our master, he who has taught us the path to deliverance, the only path there exists to freeing ourselves from all suffering, the most merciful one, the undefeated one, the infinitely compassionate one. And as we do so, let us also remind ourselves that this is an opportunity for us to remind ourselves why we are here, our purpose. Our purpose not just as visitors here, but also as human beings onto this good earth. Renewing our oath, our pledge, our allegiance to the Noble Triple Gem, to our Nibbana. Let us take a moment now to pay homage to the supremely enlightened Gautam Buddha. Namo Tassa Bhagavato Arahato Samma Sambuddhasa Namo Tassa Bhagavato Arahato Samma Sambuddhasa Namo Tassa Bhagavato so a new year has dawned, hasn't it? Looking forward. So this new year, several customs that we oblige with. And as all good citizens do, we took this occasion to visit our senior monks as well as other individuals to both wish them good health and the best in the new year. <coughs> and it gave us an opportunity to, because very seldom do I get a chance to leave these four walls, and when I do, I make the most of it. So this was an opportunity for me to witness What's going on out there? Where's out there? I can't say, you can't say the same. I can say out there. You can't say the same, I'm afraid. Wherever you are. So we didn't stop anywhere, but along the way, we could see what was going on outside our vehicle. And as always, whenever I venture out, well, I can't say always, but most of the time, I have my protector sat next to me. Now, he who is the reason we are all here, 
So he was pointing out things to me. Said, look at them. Look at these people. Look at what's going on there. So it was a sermon, about two and a half hours long. So you get special sermons like that. So along the way, he was pointing out things and teaching me how when people forget what the real problem is, not just forget, I suppose, they're not enlightened to. So it's not like you knew it once and then you forgot it. It's when you haven't recognized what the real problem is, what on earth is going on, then people seem to be on a mighty struggle to try and find answers to all the wrong problems. So we could see people walking into the shops, bartering, buying stuff, coming out, holding hands, parents carrying their children, husbands with their wives and friends, laughing, talking, walking, drinking, eating, all sorts. And what my teacher told me then was, can you see how much effort everyone puts in just for one thing? And that is to be happy. And it's all in vain. That's the thing. You know, that is why we pity humanity. By we, I mean Mahasanga, the bhikkhus and bhikkhunis, upasakas and upasikas. So that includes all of us. On your way home, you should observe these things, I think. It used to be that, you know, when I, before I listened to the Dhamma, this would be a very different <coughs> escapade. I would look out the window and look at successful people. I would, I would try to spot them in the, in the passing uh, background. You know, big businesses, tall structures reaching out to the sky. And I used to think, one day I'll be on top of one of those skyscrapers. One day I'd be someone like that getting out of that BMW, getting out of that Bentley. Right? So those are some of the dreams I used to have. So I used to look out the window back then, and I look out the window right now, today as well. But my lens has changed. So I see a very different picture. My perspective has changed. And I invite you to do the same. Those days I used to look at them and I felt envious. I thought, I need some of that. Where can I get that? Where can I get some of that? How can I become like them? Today I think, how can I help them become like me? <laughs> it's very humbling at the same time, knowing that that's where I was. And I can't I can't count my blessings enough just looking at them and taking a moment to contemplate where I am, what I'm doing today. Because all those things they're doing, you and I know 
fully well, they're all pointless. That is what my teacher pointed out to me. They're all pointless. They'll wear a smile, uh, a smile on their face, but truth be told, behind that smile are many tears. Behind that smile are blood, sweat and tears. And it's just a smile that they wear on their face when they step outside. The truth is, the reason that they step out was because they were either so tired, exhausted, weary, dreading something, and they needed to do something to change it. And they thought, if I go out, if I go see, if, see someone, meet a friend, go to the salon, go to the supermarket, go to the bank, go to the car showroom, go to the florist, go to the restaurant. That's what people do, right? Then we can change that. Every time I see this, I feel a lot of pity because all of that is in vain. You know, this is all energy, isn't it? Energy that is expended to achieve nothing. It's a waste of energy. We are taught, aren't we, from uh, right from our schooling days, don't waste energy. And that's why they say switch off the lights, switch off the fans if you're not using them. Yeah. You've all had that lesson, haven't you? Yeah, that's one of the first lessons they teach for science. Energy should not be wasted. It should be conserved. But you step outside and look at what these people are doing. That's just wasting energy. How does one waste energy? How do you calculate how much energy, energy has been wasted? You work out the efficiency. Yeah, that is how you work out how much energy has been wasted versus how much has actually gained something. So what is the formula for efficiency? E equals energy spent. I'm sorry, what is uh, work done over energy spent? Yeah, remember that? I'm giving you a science lesson today. Work done over energy spent. And they say you can times that by 100 to get it as a percentage. Remember? So what I saw yesterday was a lot of this, but hardly any of this. All those activities that people are doing for this, but they did this, but absolutely no work was done. What do I mean by work done? Being able to achieve the outcome that is expected. So the expectation is what? Happiness. But they weren't happy. They thought they were, but they weren't. That is why every year, every month, every week, every day, every waking hour, minute, second, they're always expending energy, trying to find what, what is that formula 
to achieve that happiness. So the efficiency of what humanity is doing is zero, absolutely zero, until and unless you understand the Buddha's teaching. That is when efficiency starts to rise. Until then, the efficiency of what people do is zero. That is why there is there's never enough energy in this world. You know, they'll keep digging up the coal, the natural fossil fuels, and they'll try to set up the wind farms and try and use fusion, fission, whatever, to try and generate as much energy as they possibly can. But there's never going to be enough energy because all that's happening is energy is being expended, but no work is being done. You see how, many, how advanced we are as a, as a human race? Look at all the technology we have around us. See, those days, we didn't even used to have a fan. Today, we have air conditioners. Right? When, you, when you're hot, you can switch on an air conditioner. Today, those days, if you didn't have your family with you, if they had to leave you for some time, then that was it. It was tough luck until they got back or until you went and saw them. But today, you don't have to be like that. You can just switch on your computer. You can give them a phone call. Or you can get on a flight and go and see them. See, technology is so advanced. The advancement of technology is a telltale sign that we are getting further and further from finding the right answer to our happiness. You must agree. Just think about how many pieces of gadget you have just on you, you know, just at any given moment. Perhaps, you know, when you're at the temple, you probably have very few. But think about when you're out and about. In those days, you know, people used to just wear their amude and go out. But today, you can't do that. Today, you have several layers of clothing, although it's getting hotter. <laughs> and then on top of that, you have all these fancy gadgets. Right? There's a phone in your pocket. There's a watch on your wrist. Then you probably have uh, special glasses nowadays. You know, you can have special glasses through which you can access the internet and find out what's going on just up in front of you. You can scan the, the background. You've got your car keys, very advanced. You press a button and the door opens and the car starts to, you, you can switch on the heating. You can also have, uh, you can automate your home, home automation. You can even, you can switch on the Hoover, can't you? From just all those devices that you have on you. Then you have your headset that goes around your head so you can rock to the rhythm, listen to the music. Yeah. Those days people used to carry a little Walkman. But those things are too heavy, so mobile phones replace them. Very advanced. But not really. We are becoming more and more primitive by the day. And that's what we see. When I step outside, that is what I see. And it's... People are richer. They have, they have more. They, have, they can afford more. 
than what they used to. But the more material things you can afford, the less happiness that you can afford. That's usually how it works. And the reason for that is, it is when you're not happy with what you have, you need to go out and get more to make up for what you don't have. Today I have practically nothing materialistically, but I have everything when it comes to happiness in mind. Which did you all come here to get? I don't mean here, I mean here. <laughs> we need to take stock of what's going on with us, to us, to our children, to our children's children, our future generation. You know, I, I think a, a, a new year should really be spent just taking a moment to reflect on how things have happened and how we want things to happen. You know, in the next, in the course of the next year, just think about all the things that you will purchase for your home. I'm probably speaking to a wrong audience. Uh, sometimes it's, it's quite challenging to do these sermons because you're the wrong crowd to be talking to. Just look at yourselves. So boring. Distasteful. But people who listen to these talks are typically, you know, they're, they're beginning to make some changes in their lives and it is more for them, really. Sometimes I wonder, you know, some of the things I say, whether you find it offensive. Because, you know, it's been years since you left behind those habits and dropped some of those behaviors. I'll tell you, don't waste your time watching TV. You'll be like, Swaminas, we don't have a TV. I say, you're an anomaly. You're not supposed to be like this. So it's very difficult for me to talk to you. But typically, right, uh, the, the general, the average household over the course of a year will acquire lots of materialistic things. You know, their wardrobes, their bedrooms, their living rooms, their kitchens. Just think of all the different equipment that will be purchased in the course of one year. You know, we live in a consumerized world, don't we? Where everything has it, the, the indicator of success today is whether you have what you need. That is the indicator of success. Do you have what you want? You're a successful man. We are, we are, <laughs> sorry, I can't help myself. But the truth is far, far, far away from that, is it not? Success should not be measured by whether you have what you want. Success should be when you don't want. That is success. When you are content, when you don't want, that is success. But in a consumer-driven world, 
where consumerism is the be all and end all of it. And people are out there to make money and to make money, they will exploit whatever comes their way, man, woman or child. And you can't blame people for that because that's the way they know, right? People don't know any other way to be happy other than happiness is in other people's pockets. So we just need to try and find a way to get them. Think about, you know, when we were younger and we, we went to school and if someone asked you, why do you go to school? The answer was quite simple. So I can get myself a good education, grow up, then what? Do a job, see? <laughs> and then earn some money. Ask any young girl or boy in school, any young child and ask them, why do you go to school? They'll tell us because I want to become this. Why? Usually around teenage time, you know, they'll answer so that I can get, a, I can do a good job and I can earn some money. Because money today is considered the root to all. No, no, not evil. Money is the root to happiness. So if money is the root to happiness, now you got to ask the question, where is all that money? Because that is the ine inevitable next question. The follow-up question, where is all that money that's going to make me happy? Well, if it's not with me, then it's, it's with others. So then the question comes, how do I get it? See, the way this world has been constructed is quite simple if you work out the logic behind it. I've got something that I, or I don't have something I need, but I need it. And it's not with me, it's with others. So how do I get it? Well, you can't snatch it from them. You can't steal it from them. And begging is beneath you. Doesn't, people don't appreciate that. Borrowing, you have to give it back. Stealing, you get locked up in prison. So beg, borrow and steal don't work. Right? So next what you've got to do is find a creative way to get that money from others. And so now you work out, how do I get other people's money? Simple. Find out what they want. Give it to them. And then they will give you what you want. Quite simple. Now we have another problem. What if they don't want anything? What if they don't want what I have? That's the next challenge. Right, so first you had sales. Sorry, first you had the production. Okay, you can produce something that other people want. But what if they don't want it? Now, you have to market it. Make them want what you have. So then you, your life's purpose becomes walking around, talking to people, getting them interested in what you have. This is, what I, this is how I analyze what I see around me. Right? Yesterday, on that trip there and back, I was, you know, as we were pass, passing restaurants, you know, they still have kotu kares and so on. You know, apparently it's 500 rupees per kotu now. And my teacher was telling me when he was younger, it was 40 rupees. Now it's 500 rupees for Kotu. But still people, are, they queue up. So it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how expensive it is because for as long as they'll keep telling you Kotu. <laughs> and the signs on the, on, the, on the shops, right? And, and you hear that inviting beating of the drums, right? <laughs> That's a fine invitation, isn't it? 
then and the smell, the aroma, hmm, you have to go get it. So then it doesn't matter how much it is, because now if you want it, you will find the means to get it. If there's a will, there's a way. So all you have to do is to get something that someone else has, is to make them want what you have. That is the basic principle of doing business. If you want something that someone else has, make them want what you have. Because then they will come to your feet. They will come and kneel at you, kneel by your feet and ask you, please, please, please give me what you have. And I'm sure, if you only you give me what you have. Now it's a fair deal, isn't it? I mean, right from business to relationships, that's how things work. Please, will you be mine? Yes, if you be mine. This sounds like a, you know, a very critical uh, take on what you know, relationships and so on, but you know, this is the truth. We are here to uncover, discover the truth. So I'm going to lay it bare. Just, just as it is. So as you we were passing the shops, you know, you could see people walking in and out. There were clothes shops, there were gift shops, right? And there were, you know, people, there were on occasions people, you know, getting really angry about someone parking up in front of their, in front of their, yeah, what do you call it, uh, shop fronts, right? Then there were others who were getting really annoyed that, Someone had parked up too close to their vehicle, right? Someone bumped into somebody else and, you know, you should have looked, seen the look on their faces, right? Like, I mean, predators, right? Like, fears, fearful. All this, and every time I saw this, all I could think was, if only we could... Teach them the truth. This is all a result of trying to make something belong to you. When you feel that you are someone, now everything in this world has to belong to somebody, either to me or to somebody else. You know, a mother who holds a child's hand in her in hand, she believes that this is my child, doesn't she? This child belongs to me. A person who goes to a shop and buys something, hmm? say he buys a loaf of bread, now that bread belongs to him. At least he believes that. So if someone walks past him and you know, inadvertently bumps into him and it drops onto the ground, Right now, he feels really annoyed. But if that happened five minutes earlier, when it didn't belong to him, it wouldn't have been a problem. So the same loaf of bread. Yeah, when he was in with the shopkeeper, and if so, even if someone else had bought it, someone else buys it, and he drops it on the ground, no problem. This man buys it, drops it on the ground, big problem. So what brought suffering? The loaf of bread? Or is it the person who bumped into him? No. It is this sense of belonging. This sense of belonging is just another a fancy way of saying a sense of separation. 
What is belonging after all if not separation? Whenever you feel that something belongs to you, it is something you have separated for yourself, isn't it? If you made a list of all the things that belong to you, these are this is a list of all the things that you have separated as something that is yours and doesn't belong to anybody else. You've, you've taken it out of the pool. There's a pool of things that belongs to everybody and from there you've taken something out. So now it belongs to you. The moment you do that, you become its protector, you become its guardian. Now fear and grief and all that, that it comes as a package. Apply this principle into various examples in your lives. You know, right from your car, your house, your, your glasses, your children, your school. Try and offend someone's school. People get annoyed. I someone say, I'm a royalist. Don't you dare say anything against my school. So that this guy, right, he leaves his college, he goes to another school. Now, now he goes to say Ananda. Right? I'm an Anandian. Don't you dare say anything about Ananda. How did that happen? All because you feel that you are part of that, or that is part of you. This sense of belonging. This is a sense of separation. It's all in a feeling. That's all it is. It's all in, it's all in a perception. That's all it is. All of suffering is bundled up in this, in this bowl of perception. That's all it is. If you can spot that and identify that, you're free. This is where people struggle. People believe that suffering is something that is brought to them from others. That is why they're always on a quest to try and free themselves from others. You can enslave a man and then he'll try to fight you for his freedom. Little does he know that he was never enslaved by someone else and it was only he himself who did it to him. When we went talking to the prisons a while back, this is the principle that I wanted to explain to them. You know, none of you are in prison unless you think you are. Just think about it. You know, like I was thinking the other day, you know, when seasonal breaks come, you know, holidays come, New Year, this, uh, this time of the year comes, right? People, they, they, they travel, don't they? They go on holiday, they go see their families, they go on trips and so on. Someone in prison, they look forward to the day where they're released from prison. Maybe on parole or maybe once they've served their time, right? They look forward to, their, to the day that they're going to be released from prison. What about people who live in homes and they do their nine to five and then they look forward to the weekend? What are they looking forward to? Being released, yeah? Then comes uh, holiday time, right? Maybe when they take their holidays, right? Uh, towards the end of the year, middle of the year, uh, beginning of the year, whenever. Again, they're looking for uh, a moment for relief or to be released. What difference do you see then? The prisoners are there in prison, looking forward to the day they're going to be released. People live Monday to Friday, waiting to be released. You just get it more than them, that's all. So if you're looking forward to your weekend, to feel that sense of release, huh? and they're looking forward to the end of, let's say, someone's been, someone's been incarcerated for six months, 
right? At the end of that six months, they are released. So they look forward to six months, to the lapse of six months so that they can be released. The average person looks forward to five days so that they can be released because at the end of the five days, they get the weekend. They're both prisons. So you get five-day-long prison sentences, don't you, every week? <laughs> Shame on you. What about school children? How often do you get school, school holidays? Every? How many months? Every? I can't remember now. Three months? Three months? Four months? Every three to four months? Okay. So that's a three to four month long prison sentence. Do you not see the, the, their faces? You know, when it's uh, school holidays and that last ring, bell rings? Hmm? How they run around screaming with joy, just like when those prisoners get released. Some people, you know, some people call it marriage. Yeah, that's a lifelong prison sentence. What I'm trying to say is it's not the environment that imprisons you. It is your mindset that imprisons you. So you can choose to be in a prison right now if you wanted to. If you start looking at the, at the, at the clock going, when is he going to finish? At that moment, you have imprisoned yourself. If you don't want to be here, you are in prison. That is all it is. Wherever you are, if you don't want to be there, you are in prison. That is the only reason. Right? Those people in prisons, we call them prisoners because they don't want to be there. What I was trying to teach them was be happy being there. There's a way you can be happy where you are. So then you don't have to get out of here. Hmm? Then when the day comes that uh, their, their term ends, that's when they'll feel like they're going, being sent to prison. Because what, they, what do they have to do once they're, once they're released? Now they have to go and earn for themselves. They have to go and feed their families. Yeah, That's like you know asking me to disrobe and go home, right? <laughs> Now I have to go and earn for myself, feed my family, right? go do a job, right? water the plants, right? do the house up, right? wash the dishes, clean the house, drive the car, take it to the garage, right? all those things. But here, I'm free. So I was trying to explain to them and I think in the future, we'll get another opportunity to do that. I'm looking forward to that. I, I really have a lot of sympathy towards, towards you know, those people who are locked up in cells because they are there. You might choose to disagree with me. They're there for no fault of theirs. I feel it that way. They're there because of the, the misfortunate circumstances in which they found themselves. They didn't have a good teacher. Perhaps their parents were not knowledgeable enough, educated enough. They, had no, they, they weren't able to give a good upbringing. 
The reason that your child is not in prison today is not because he's a good child. It's because he had a good environment. Because he had good parents. Because he had good teachers. It's because he had a good upbringing, a good education. Values and virtues, you know, they were fed into this, this child's mind. But those people, I can't speak on behalf of all of them, so this is not me stereotyping them, but generally speaking, you know, if they had given, if they'd been given a different set of circumstances, I think we would have, we would have seen a different outcome. So I, I always feel, I always talk to Guru Andhra about this, you know, I always feel that they need to be given another chance, a real chance in life. Because they weren't given a real chance. You know, what they were given were this. A bunch of people walked up to them and said, I want what you want, right? And I've got something that you want. So here it is, if you give me what you have. Oh, sorry, I want what you have, and I've got something that you might want, and here's how nice it is, here's how good it is. So you wax them up, and now they want something that you have, but you're not willing to give it to them. Now you start calling your price, and they can't afford it. Now what they go to do is they steal, rob, burglary, right, and so on. And then once they do that, they get locked up in prison. Or as 90% of prisoners are in prison today, 90%, that high, yes, uh, because of drugs or drug-related crimes, right? Again, here's something you want. I've got it. If you want it, come and get it. So, because of poor indoctrination. You know, don't you feel sorry for someone who's in prison because of drugs? Don't you really feel sympathy towards them? You know, it was not drugs that they wanted. That's the thing. That's why I feel sorry for them. They didn't want to steal. They didn't want to kill. They didn't want to do any of those things. They just wanted happiness. <laughs> Is that so bad? Is that a sin? Is that a crime to want to be happy? Then if, if so, we should all be in prison. The only reason you're not, you didn't do drugs was because you found other ways to be happy. That's why today you are sober. If you were frustrated, if you had problems in your life, right, and you, you found no way of getting out of it, and then someone came and said, you know what, I can wash away all your problems. Just take a sniff of this, and all your problems will be gone. Wouldn't you? Seems the easy option. And if you can promise me that when I take a sniff of this, all my problems are gone, at least, you know, for the next couple of hours, why not? I can forget all my problems. This is the reason why people watch films. Why do people watch movies? Because for two and a half hours, you can forget what? All your problems. Because now you can get embroiled in someone else's problem. Because when you're embroiled in someone else's problem, you can forget you've got a problem. How nice. Yeah, you've got a you've got hundred problems at home, burning problems, but when you're set, sat down in front of that TV, watching that film, right in the cinema, right, and someone's trying to sh shoot someone down or someone's you know, running away with somebody else's wife, 
right? Now you know, look at those people. They shouldn't be doing like that. Right? You become commentators. You, you just get embroiled in someone else's problem. And then what happens to your problem? That's on the back burner. That's why when the credits start appearing on screen and you start, you know, finding finding your whereabouts, you know, get your bearing straight and you have to get up and walk out of the cinema. And as you open the door, right, and the out, out of the air, the cool theater and out into the warm city. Uh, the the muff of the of 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 real real life. Then reality hits you, then you have to walk to your car, and you remember, oh, I need to get this damn thing serviced. And then you get into the car, you sit down, and your wife gets into the other one to get this one serviced as well. <laughs> your children get sit at the back, right? Then you, she says, right, we need to go do the shopping on the way home. Oh yes, that as well. So one after the other, after the other, all those problems start coming back to you. You know, because the thing is this, right? When, when jati happens, when jati happens, jati by very nature connects the future and the past. So everything that happened in the past happened to you Everything that is that will have to happen in the future is going to happen to you. So all problems in the past become your problems. All problems in the future become your problems. While you're in the movie, in the movies, the same goes, but you're engaged in someone else's problem. I mean, if Jati happened, didn't happen, you wouldn't be able to enjoy a movie. You enjoy it because you can you, you have a story in front of you. So if it's if it's so innocent, if it's if it's such you know if it's if it's so innocent, it's such an innocent thing to do to watch a movie and enjoy it, right? Then for the same reason, someone will do drugs. Innocent, because it's not the it's not the drugs that they want. It's happiness that they want. But to you, it comes in a two and a half hour long film. To them, it comes in a small pill. And if you know, if you've ever come across or had an opportunity to talk to some of them, I, actually, people who do drugs, you know, they're typically speaking, they're very innocent people. They don't harm anyone, not out of choice. All they want to do is take something and just go and, you know, lie, some down, some, lie down somewhere and just, just go into that world where they can forget their problems. Again, I'm talking to the wrong audience, obviously. <laughs> But what I'm saying is I, I have a lot of sympathy towards them. They, they can be given another chance just as much as you have been given another chance. Just as much as we have been given another chance. Just as much as our Anagarikas have been given another chance. We've all been given another chance, haven't we? When we were introduced to the Buddha Dhamma, we were all given another chance to life. To actually remind ourselves, what is the purpose of our lives? Why have we come here? Why were, we, why were we born? What is the purpose of being alive? What are we here to do? This is another chance. A wake-up call. That they didn't get. Just imagine yourselves, but without the Dhamma, where would you be today? 
Some of you will be at work. Some of you might be in prison. Some of you might be in court. Hmm? God knows where else others might be. You can imagine for yourselves all the places where you might find yourselves if you didn't get the dhamma. Some of you might be crying your eyes out. Some of you might be on the on the round end of a rope. On the straight end, the round end. With your neck around it. The reason you're here like this is because you found the damper. That is the reason. It's not because we are special. It's because the Dhamma saved us. So if we were all given a fair chance, right? we were all given another chance, I believe that every human being deserves a second chance. Didn't you deserve it? Didn't you all deserve it? A chance to see the truth? To realize the truth? Well, then they all deserve a chance. Someone who's addicted to pornography deserves a second chance. It's not porn they want. They just want to be happy. But they think it's to be found in porn. That's the thing. You think it's to be found in cake. They think it's to be found in porn. Someone who's addicted to alcohol. Addicted or not. So whoever opens a bottle up and thinking, if I drink a bit of this, I'm going to be happy. You might not call that addicted, but I think that's, you know, mentally they're not sane because they think, now don't take this the wrong way. Right? What I mean by this is if you believe that happiness comes in a bottle, it's not a genie in there. They don't come in bottles. For someone who believes that happiness comes in a bottle, yeah, don't you pity them because they, don't they need another chance? I don't need a bottle to be happy. I used to be someone who used to watch films all the day, all the time. Every weekend, you know, that's what that's what I used to do for my entertainment. And there was there was access to as many as I wanted, and weekends was that was how I I, I was not the very outgoing kind of person. I like to be at home. A very homely person I was, and I had access to as many films as you wanted. You know, just a flick of a button, and you had it. I got another chance, because I thought happiness comes through Netflix. Some people believe happiness is to be found on YouTube. Happiness is to be found on Facebook. It's not Facebook they want, it's not YouTube they want, what they want is happiness. All because they've not seen the truth. You know, put yourself in their shoes. I'm talking about someone who's addicted to X, whatever that X might be. Put yourself in their shoes. Why are you addicted now? Because you haven't seen the truth. If you believe you deserve a second chance, then 
So do all of them. If someone believes that they need a partner to make them happy, they've not seen the truth. You all got that second chance, didn't you? If I asked you when, you'd probably be able to go back and tell me, ah, that day when I was listening to that sermon, the Sasaragana Denu, that's when it happened for me. Hmm? That day when I listened to that sermon, Obakaud, that's when it happened to me. You'll all, you'll have, all have a story to tell. That's when I got that second chance. So you got that second chance and look where that, got, where that, where that took you. A completely different path in life, right? See how much of a difference it made? One sermon. Just the truth. Completely different path. Can you imagine what our Anagarika Mahatmyas would have been today had they, had they not had the chance to listen to the Dhamma? Today they're like this. If they hadn't come across the Dhamma, what would have they been like? Most of them very successful people from a, in a worldly sense. They'd have gone on to become teachers and engineers and doctors and lawyers and mothers. To how many? One, two, three, four, five? See how much it can change your course in life. Just one sermon. Meaning, how much truth must be there in that. And secondly, what people are looking for are not the things that are immediately in front of them. That is not what they're looking for. You were all looking for the same thing. And you realized it's not in the things that were set in front of you. You realize it's not, it does not come in the fridge. It does not come in a packet. It does not come in a bottle. It does not come on four wheels. And neither does it come on two legs. You all realize that. All one sermon did that for you. That opened your eyes, and then from that day onwards, right, you, you followed that path, and this is where you are. So everyone deserves that second chance, don't you think so? Everyone deserves that second chance. If you got that second chance, then everyone deserves that second chance. Because in giving you that second chance, we didn't check how good or bad you were, did we? We didn't ask you, first confess all the, all the bad things you've done and let's see whether you're fit enough to listen to this. We didn't check you. We didn't see whether you're guilty of various things. We just gave you. By we, I mean the Mahasangha. We just gave you. We didn't ask you, have you robbed? Have you stolen? Have you killed? Hmm? Have you cheated? We didn't ask you any of that. We just gave. Because what we realized was, even if you'd, had, if you'd done all those things, that was not what you wanted to do. All you were looking for was happiness. Just like all those people I saw 
as we were walking, as we were going to, the, to our destination. People are just looking for happiness. Once, when they don't have it, they'll do all sorts of things, you know, good and bad, both good and bad, exist in this world because people haven't seen the truth. <clears throat> what is good after all? Good is simply, when people haven't seen the truth, the ultimate truth, right? When you help someone who hasn't seen the ultimate truth to live a comfortable life, we call that good. Ask someone what they want and give it to them. That is good, isn't it? Generosity. A hungry man, right? You talk to them what you want. I'm hungry. Can I have some food? You give them some food. That is good. That is good. What he really needs is not food. What you really need to give him is a way to find, is, 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 is a lesson that teaches him how not to be hungry. But it's too early for that. First, you got to save that man's hunger. But that is good. But what is great? That second lesson. How not to be hungry. What they'll teach you is how to have what you want when you're hungry. What we want to teach you is how not to be hungry. Because when you're not hungry, you don't need anything. This is the teaching of the Buddha. This is why they call it the Four Noble Truths. This is why they call it the Noble Truths. This is the truth. The real truth. Just walk back in your lives, you know, walk back down memory lane and think about all those times in your life where you made some choices which in hindsight today seem crazy. If, I, if, if the same situation presented itself to you today, hmm, how many of those choices would you make exactly the same way today? Hardly any, I think, for some of you. Hardly any. Because when you look back at those choices, you realize, I made those choices because I didn't see an alternative. Yes or no? Hmm? Because you didn't see an alternative. Because you thought that was the only way that I could be happy. That is why you made those choices. Today your choices are very different because you have an alternative. The alternative. The only alternative. In fact, the only truth. So much so that everything else seems like a useless alternative. I decided to travel the world at one point in my life. I remember very, you know, very vividly that day when my parents came and told me, we are leaving. And I was... I was mixed. I, had, I was nervous. I was excited all at the same time. I had my friends I had to leave. School I had to leave. Everything I'd built for, for myself I had to leave. But at the same time, the prospects of going somewhere where everyone, everyone wants to go. I made a choice. Mind you, that one choice, I think, in hindsight, <laughs> was probably one of the best choices I'd made. But then, not all of you made that choice and you're all still here. I only refer to the fact that I met my teacher there. 
but no it's not like all of us met him there right so if my merits were powerful enough then i probably would have met him here as well but that was not why i made that choice it's not like i thought to myself yeah, one day i'm going to meet my teacher so i better get on that get on a plane and fly there no it was a very different reasons all those prospects you know how they said that you this is a wonderful it was a, it's a wonderful country it's where everyone wants to be it's where things happen it's where you can make success for your life right so let's go there uh, people said so much about it i remember going online and typing in united kingdom into wikipedia <laughs> because that's where we were going to go <laughs> and all the fun things you could do when you get there i made those choices back then in hindsight for those reasons i wouldn't have made that choice i wouldn't make that choice today but i it, it wasn't the uk i wanted to go to that was not where i wanted to go to i just wanted to be happy in the same way i ask you go back into your in your down your memory lane you know don't take take a take a walk down the path of life you've lived so far and think about all those decisions you made in your life the very decisions that people are today locked up in prisons for the choices that they made only because they saw no alternative because when the mind is vexed ladies and gentlemen all it looks for is relief from that vexation i mean i have such sympathy for a mind that is vexed you know don't you feel sorry when you see cruelty to animals right don't you feel sorry for them like if you if you see a man like right, getting a stick out and beating a dog an innocent dog right beating it i mean and the dog's crying i don't you feel don't you really feel sympathy towards that animal yeah i'm i'm talking about the same feeling i feel that when i see a mind vexed because ignorance and attachment are doing that same thing to that mind just beating it up and if you hear, if you've ever heard a dog cry when it's being beaten up like that you don't want me to show you a video do you you remember you, you've seen it you've heard it right seen it in places on the news wherever right and how the uh, the poor animal tries to escape from that painful experience and it tries to run away the mind is just the same the mind is like that attachment is is beating it down whacking it away and it's being crushed if you could take your mind out and lay it in front of you just imagine that right attachment beating it down and with every beat it's just it's just being it's just being crushed and crumpled and it's just looking for an opportunity to relieve itself from that pain from that agony i feel sorry i feel sympathy that is what i feel when i see all of you when i saw when i saw those those people outside the window like those people walking up and down walking into the shops you know holding hands doing all those things i'm like this is what attachment is doing to them they're just looking for a vent 
They're just looking for a vent so that they can relieve themselves from that vexation. They don't need to be like that because we have the Dhamma. You all got given a second chance. We all were given a second chance. That is why today you feel so relaxed. You feel easy. If I ask you, when was the last time you were like really stressed? It was probably a very long time ago. Today you don't feel that way because you have the Dhamma. Today you have insulated yourself from attachment as much as you, you, you have been able to. Today you are immune to the effects of attachment as much as you have been able to achieve that. Attachment can't do its dirty tricks on you today because you are freeing yourself from ignorance. Because wherever there is ignorance, there is attachment. Ignorance is the only reason we suffer. That is why through the Dhamma, we share with you wisdom. Realize the truth. You make your own suffering. And the only way I can do that is through your ears. You know, how I wish I could just come and come up to you and just tear away attachment from your hearts. How I wish I could do that, but I can't. Only these words have the magic of doing that. And everyone deserves a second chance. Even animals deserve a second chance, but what a pity. These words have no effect on them. Because when they had the opportunity to get a second chance, they forewent that. Because at one point they were like you. I'm saying something. Read between the lines. At one point they were like you. They had the chance. And they didn't make use of it. Now they're just suffering. And we want to do something for them. But we can't. Because it's too late. They don't understand what we're saying. They can't understand what we're saying. So now the magic of the Dhamma can't do anything for them. But for all of you, it still can. That's why young or old, man or woman, child or adult, you know, this is the only thing that is worth spending your time, your precious time as human beings doing. I tell you, ladies and gentlemen, this is the only thing that is worth doing. And I say that not just because. It's not just for the sake of saying it. I tell you this is the only thing that's worth doing because everything else you do because you don't have this. That is why. Everything else you do, you do because you don't have this. All those people I saw walking up and down, walking in and out of the shops, they do that because they don't have the truth. So if presented with the truth, now they don't have to do that. Going places, seeing people, doing things, right? Singing, dancing, music, drama, art, films, right? Eating, sleeping, drinking, you know what comes next. All the rest of it. All of that because they don't have the truth. The long and short of that is, they don't do all those things because they want those things. What they do them for is for happiness. 
So if we can present to them real happiness, now they don't need to go after all those things. Every choice you made in your life up until now, you made because you thought that choice was going to lead you to happiness. Yes or no? Every choice you made. You stepped outside your house because you thought that was going to make you happy. You went to school because you thought you did that. At least your parents thought that was going, you were going to do that. Then as soon as the bell rang, you went and played with your friends because you thought that was going to make you happy. You made friends because you thought it was going to make you happy. You went out with them. You went out for drinks. You went out to the, to the pub. You, went to the, you had a meal. right? You played with them, went on trips, climbed up Sigiriya, went swimming, right? abseiling, mountain climbing, things I've done. That's why I'm, <laughs> I'm saying these things. Because I thought it was going to make me happy. Flying, traveling the world, because you thought it was going to make you happy. Listening to the radio, listening to music, downloading stuff. I mean, I can, where do we, where do we, <laughs> I can't, there's no way I can give you a comprehensive list of things because there are an umpteen list of things that we can be talking about. Every single thing that was done, was done in the name of happiness. But what is the efficiency? So much energy spent and absolutely no work done. There's never going to be enough energy. The truth is you don't have to spend any energy to get this kind of work done. The work that I'm talking about, achieving real happiness, you don't need to spend energy for that. Therefore, efficiency is 100%. For zero work done, 100% work done. So for zero energy spent, 100% work done. What people are doing is 100 energy, zero work. Zero efficiency. You know, we have to be those agents of change. We can, we, you know, little by little, slowly, gradually, we can, we can start to make that change. You know, you are a walking example. You really are. You are a walking example in everyone here in this room. You are a walking example that this is possible. Because don't people walk up to you and ask you, what's changed about you? you you're very different now. You know, something's changed. What's going on in your life? You know, live a life so that people come up to you and ask you, tell me your story. I'm interested. Live that kind of life. You can live that kind of life in two ways. Right? Sometimes we go to the prisons and ask people, Tell me your story. I'm interested. Right? Or when someone's on death row, you can ask him, tell me your story. I'm interested. How did you end up here on the electric chair? Huh? Tell me your story. Or when someone's in a rehabilitation center, you go and ask him, tell me your story. I'm interested. How did you get here? Why do we listen to that story? So we can avoid it. Yeah? Live your life so that people walk up to you and ask you, Tell me your story. I'm interested. How did you get where you are? So that I can avoid it? No. So I can become someone like you. Be a walking example. A living, breathing example. Because that is what people are looking for. You can be that agent. 
that agent of change. You know, be that ambassador of happiness, not Buddhism. Forget Buddhism. Leave that to a side. You know, I'm so glad that Anagarika Mahatmas, you, you can't look at them and tell that they're Buddhists, can you? I mean, in this country, they'll, they'll probably be recognized for that. But if you take them somewhere else, you know, they're like, who, who are they? No one will recognize them as Buddhists, meaning they are perfect vehicles to convey this message. Because if I walk up there with this in hand and sit down like this, and ah, Buddhist monk. So obviously he's going to talk, us about, talk to us about what the Buddha said. But that's not what I believe in. So immediately their blinders go up. But you? You can go and talk about the truth to people. I mean, hold a cross in your hand if you must. It's fine. It's all right. Just talk to them about the truth. This is not what the Buddha said. This is just the truth. The Buddha just happened to say it. It is not the truth because the Buddha uttered it. It is the truth regardless. Whoever utters this we call the Buddha. Not the Buddha comes and utters this. It's the other way around. So you are really you know, very powerful agents of change because if, if, you, if people can become someone like you, don't you think that they'll be happier people? Honestly, answer the question. If people can become someone like you, right? The average man on the street, the average woman on the street, madam, if someone could become someone like you, don't you think they'll be happier just that little bit more? Of course they would. Do what do you think? Huh? If your classmates could become like you, do you still have classmates? What do you think, sir? If someone could become like you, don't you think they'd be happier? Of course. If you're a father, and I ask you, if all fathers in this world could become someone like you, don't you think, sir, they'd be a little bit more happier? A little bit more happy? Of course they would. So that's what I'm saying. You know, you are all examples. Don't take this lightly. Don't take it lightly. You're a very powerful force. You're a very, very powerful force for change. Because, you know, if people are always influenced by others, right, and when you're in society, you are also a force of influence. So the more people like you we have out there, that much better society can become. People can become just by aspiring to be someone like you. Because when, what they'll see when they come to you, when, when, they, when, they, when they come to you is the same things that affect them and you, right? your, the impact on, the two of, on them and you are very different. Your response is very different to theirs. But it's the same effect. So how is that, they'll wonder. How come things that annoy them don't annoy you? How come things that keep them up at night don't keep you up at night? They'll wonder. Then they'll ask you. If they haven't asked you already, I'll be very surprised. Your friends would have asked you. Your colleagues would have asked you. 
your neighbors would have asked you, perhaps your relations would have asked you, your brother, your sister would have asked you, what's up? I'm interested. Tell me, what's going on with your life? The very questions that they asked when you were climbing up a different kind of tree, maybe when you were you know, successful in your lives, right? successful in your professions, then they would also have come and asked you, how do you get to where you are? How do you do that? You know, I remember when we were at school or college, school, whenever, you know, they would bring professionals. Right? And then they would do talks and they would give us inspirational talks so that we could listen to them and be inspired by them. And then we'd walk up to them and talk to them at the end of the lecture and we'd ask them, so how do we become someone like you? Where do I start? And they would give us some advice, career advice, they'd call it, career guidance. Can't you give them career guidance now? Of course you can. This is proper career guidance. Because if, you, if they take this guidance, then undeniably, they will achieve what they really came into this world for. Every other thing is just barking up the wrong tree. Never going to get what they've come here for. Just expending energy for no return. You have to accept this is the truth. That is why people keep on doing the same things over and over and over again, hoping for a different outcome. What do you call that? Insanity. Don't you pity them? Honestly, I mean, honestly, just you know, tap your hearts and ask, you, ask this question of yourself. Don't you feel sorry for people out there? When I see them, when I see this, the, you know, the, the looks on those faces, you know, doomy faces, long faces, right? frowning faces. I mean, all of those faces could be happy faces. They don't have to be like that. When all faces could be happy faces. Why do we have gloomy faces? Doomy faces and long faces. <laughs> they don't need to be like that. You can be a really strong influence on them. And you are. I want you to take that responsibility seriously. You don't have forever to do it either. I know however old you are, take that number and take it out of, I don't know what, 80? 65? What is it these days? Lifespan? 60? Some of you probably think I've already passed that Swami so answer. <laughs> 65, 70? And take your age and take whatever your age is, take it out of that number. Now you know that's how much time you have left to do it. All because they don't, they haven't realized the truth. You know, they they live in a dream world. That's what it is. In that dream world, they have problems to solve, but none of those problems will free them because they're in a dream world. The real problem is in being asleep, not the problem in the dream world. The real problem is being asleep. 
That is why I ask you to wake up. Because once you're woken up, no, none of those problems exist. They all just perish and disappear. Just like that. Just like that. They all disappear. Human beings don't have to suffer like this. Because human beings have the power of intellect. They have the power of thought. They can think. They can be influenced. They can listen. They can understand. They can change their course of action. They can choose a different path to the one that they've always been on. Can't they? So human beings don't deserve to suffer like that. Animals don't either, but unfortunately it's too late for them. So I want you, of course, first to treat yourselves because there's no better agent for change than someone who has changed himself. I want you to make this change happen to you. So what I ask of you is whenever you come across situations in life and these problems and challenges, situations that stretch you, right, and maybe on the border of mental stress, anxiety and whatever, please remind yourselves that this is all because I'm living in a dream world. And wake up. Because whenever jati happens in your mind, you are succumbed to all the other problems that come with it. Sometimes you will reflect on it in hindsight and remember, ah, you know, that day this is what happened to me. That is better than not remind, being reminded of it at all. You know, when you're first taking that, those first steps, right, it will happen perhaps a day later, maybe a week later for some of you. But as you keep practicing it, some ask me, right, Samina, so how do I, you know, I remind, I remind myself that I shouldn't have done that maybe a few hours later, maybe a day later, but how do I do it on the spot? It comes with practice, as anything does. It comes with practice. So today, if you're able to do it, a day later, a week later, right? If you keep on doing what you can do today, you'll be able to do more tomorrow. But don't let it go. That is why, you know, we ask, I've, I've asked you in the past, like, you know, do those, do that 15 minutes of meditation every day. If you can find the time to do that. Maybe five minutes if you can't. At least put in a, put in a check, a check-in point. A checkpoint for you at the end of the day, before you go to sleep, if you can. You know, take, think about what you've done throughout the day and ask yourself, what are those moments where I fell asleep? And then before you go to sleep, wake up. Those are the moments I fell asleep. But just reflecting on that, going over that situation one more time in your head is a, it's almost like you're rewiring your mind, your brain, if you like. You're rewiring your brain, you're rewiring your mind, you're rewiring the way you think so that you're giving yourself some practice so that next time it happens, you can be more alert, more mindfully aware. Mindfully aware. What happened when the problem happened was you weren't mindfully aware. You were mindful, but you were not aware. If we're all mindful, we're always mindful. You're always mindful about what you're doing, right? You're always mindful. Because it's not necessarily what your hands are doing. Mindful is being aware about what your mind is doing, right? 
And besides, you know, you can be drinking a glass of water and talking to someone, or maybe you can be driving and talking to someone. It's not like your driving happens automatically. <coughs> you are actually thinking about the driving. You just don't focus on it because it happens so, so rapidly. It's not like you don't have to think about it. You are thinking about it. But it happens almost automatically, but not automatically. It happens almost automatically, right? Because you've done it so many times over and over. But there are thoughts that arise to help you do that, to coordinate that. You know, your arm movements, your leg movements, your feet movements. These are all coordinated movements. So your, your mind is working hard at it. But you just don't focus on it because you're focused on your conversation. Because there are no automatic thoughts. There, there isn't something like that. They're all thought out. They're all, there's a process for that. So at least, you know, when you have that moment before, you, before your bedtime, go back, run the day in your, in, your, in your mind one more time and ask yourself, you know, what were those moments where I should have made a different choice? And just, just take a minute to think about it. This is really good advice. Because it has, it has done wonders for me. So this is why I ask you to do it. Take, take those moments. And, and the, more you, the more times you do it, the more times you can be in control of when it actually happens. If you do it time and time again, then the moment that you, are, you catch yourself, right? immediately as it happens, you can catch yourself. This comes with practice. And in that moment, you can free yourself from suffering. But when you're not mindful, and when you're not mindfully aware, you will start to separate things in your mind. Now, someone had asked the question, uh, when we talk about separation, are we talking about how we like and dislike things? Or are we talking about seeing an object that is independent of the or dependent origination process? In other words, what they're asking us now, with these two pens, for instance, I could say I like the black pen and I like the blue pen. Yeah? So they were asking me the question, is that what we talk about what we mean when we talk about separation or the fact that I can see a pen itself. Where does this come in? Where I like the black pen and not the blue pen or I like the blue pen and not the, not the black pen. But the thing is, this is all comes in one, as one package. Because the moment you see something, you, you separate something, one thing out of everything else, you have to put it into a bucket. Because if this is a black pen, Everything else in this world is not a black pen, isn't it? Think about it for a sec. If this is a pen, then everything else in this world are not pens. Do you understand that? If this is a pen, then everything else in this world is not a pen. But what about this one then? No, just imagine for a second that this is the only pen in this world. The fact that this is a pen for you means everything else in this world is not a pen. That's why you don't see a pen here, and you don't see a pen here, or you don't see one here, because this is a pen for you. This is also a pen. 
When this is a pen, everything else in this world is not a pen. Because this is a pen. In other words, you identify and you recognize something as a separate entity from everything else. Because separation is separation from everything else. That is what separation is. Separation is separation from everything else. Let, I think the best example of this is you. When you think about you, everyone and anything else in this world is not you. Am I right? That's the point I'm trying to make. There's only one of you, right? What if you had a twin sister? Is she still you? No, she's not you either. Why do twins dress, dress alike? Ever wondered? Twins, they dress alike, don't they? Because it's fun. You know how it's fun? Because it teases others. Because only they know which one's which. That's the fun part of it. Because it's a teaser for everybody else. Haha, you got the wrong one. And it's like tickling. You can get fun out of tickling someone, right? It's the same, same concept. That's why twins dress alike. Sometimes the mother might know. Maybe the father knows, right? But usually nobody else is, is any wiser. They're like, which one's which? That's the point. <laughs> it's so you can't tell which one's which, so they dress alike. But they know. Yeah, so if you have one called Amy and the other one called Jane, Amy knows that she's Amy and she's not Jane. Jane knows that she's Jane and she's not Amy. But nobody else knows. So what, you know, how do you feel when you know something and nobody else does? You feel special, don't you? Yeah. That is what, they, that is what they're after. It's not very nice. <laughs> So, separation is when you identify yourself. The moment you identify yourself, there is no one else in this world that is you. Am I right? No one else and nothing else in this world that is you. You are unique. That is where this word unique comes from. There is none other. That is what unique means. Nothing else like whatever in question. That is what unique means. That is the same thing I mean by this. <clears throat> When you see this as a pen, there is nothing else in this world that is a pen. That is this pen. That's the point. That is what separation is. Nothing else in this world is this pen. You have to agree. Agree? Nothing else in this world is this pen. Meaning you have separated it from everything else. I'm not talking about the superficial knowledge. So that, you know, when I ask you to bring me this pen, I don't want you to bring me this pen. I want you to bring me this pen. I'm talking about something else. I'm talking about the perception that you have of how this pen is so very different and very separated, different entity from this. It's a very unique object. There's no two of this. What if there was a pen that was exactly like this? Same uh, batch 
right? Same manufacturer, same color. Still, if you held it in your hand and the other in the other hand, you would tell me that this is the only pen. There is nothing like this. This is this pen and this is that pen. That separation that you feel, this is because of jati. It's how you feel you are different from everybody else. So what is the problem with that? What happens when you do that? Or what happens when that happens? Because it's not, like, it's not something you do. It's just something, it's just something that happens to you. What happens when, when that happens? What happens when that happens is... <clears throat> all sorts of things happen. When that happens... First of all, you have the concept of belonging comes. Does something belong to you or not is a very binary question, isn't it? It's a binary question. Can't you answer that question on behalf of every object in this world? I ask you the question, does it belong to you or not? You can say yes or no. About what? Absolutely everything in this world. Yes? Yeah. So this is what happens when you separate. So I'm talking to you through the, uh, the problems that arise when you start to perceive this separatedness. Okay? The moment you feel that you are separate from everything else and that there are separate and unique objects in this world, now the concept of belonging comes in. And you know what comes after belonging. Yeah, of course, fear and grief. Yeah. So whenever you separate something in this world, now you have the answer to the question, is it yours or is it not yours? Can you name me one thing that is neither? It's neither yours nor not yours. Give me one example. Give me one example of something that is neither yours nor not yours. Can you? No. You can answer this question if you are an Arahant. It's neither yours nor not yours. But right now, no matter what example I give you, you'll be able to tell me, yes, that is mine, Swami answer, or that is not mine, Swami answer. <clears throat> so, when something's yours, now you have the responsibility of protecting it keeping it safe, yeah? And, of course, when, it, when you lose it, you have fear, you have grief. So fear and grief come with the sense of belonging. What about things that don't belong to you? Things that don't belong to you. Here's what happens with things that don't belong to you. If you like it, I've already opened up the box. Up to you, you can think it. I like to give my students riddles. I just, I just give a little and I, I, I get them to think because that helps to really develop the faculty of wisdom. It's like working out a problem. I teach you a little bit of it. I want you to start thinking about it. Okay? When something doesn't belong to you, don't think that problem's over. If you like it, now what do you want? You want it to belong to you. 
if you didn't like it. Now what? You don't want it to belong to you. So you see, you have dealings with absolutely everything in this world. You are not independent. This pen is yours. Okay? This pen is not yours. Are you telling me that it is only this pen that you have problems with? Oh, no. <laughs> you have problems with this pen also. Because if you like this pen, now you want it to belong to you. You need this. You want it. And if you don't like this pen, now I try and force it on you. No, 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 no. Please don't. Please. I don't want it. I don't want it. See? See all the things that start to happen when you open this Pandora's box of separation? I'm, I'm trying to explain to you something really subtle, but and I, I feel you can all grasp this, so I'm breaking it down, and, and I'm sure you can. I'll talk to you through it again. This pen belongs to you. What are the two things that come with as a package? Fear and grief. Fear of what? Losing it and grief when you have lost it. Okay? This one is not yours. So we started with... In this world, once you separate, it's either yours or it's not yours. All agreed? Okay, so this pen now is not yours because this is yours, this is not yours. No problem with this one? There is. Because if you like this pen, now you want it to be yours. And if you don't like this pen, you don't want it to be yours. In fact, that is a wanting. The wanting of not wanting. Apiehi sampayogo dukko. See, if you like this pen, not being able to associate it is your suffering. If you don't like this pen, having to associate it is your suffering. All because this pen doesn't belong to you. What about this one? Well, you already have fear and grief. Meaning, the moment jati happens, everything in this world for you is a cause for suffering. Well done. Sir? Huh. You know the times when we have no like or dislike are times when we don't know exactly what it is. Because when we know what it is, now you either like it or you don't like it. Think of examples. You know, this is not a case of like liking it and really wanting it, like like you know, I can't do without it. I'm not I'm not talking about a strong desire where I have to have it in my life. I'm talking about simply just the sight of it. Just the sight of it. Just the sound of it. I just 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 wanting to know what it is. As I said, I'm talking about something really subtle here. You know, you gotta really tune into what I'm trying to explain to you here, right? I'm talking about a very fine form of vexation here. Because, you know, if you didn't know what this was, okay, if you didn't know what this was, right, let me take this one. If you didn't know what this was, oh, okay, let's do this. I've got something in my hand. Come on. Yeah, okay, come on, speak out loud. Yes. What do you want to know? You want to know what it is. Why do you want to know what it is? 
Think. Why do you want to know what it is? So you can know whether you like it or you dislike it. <laughs> That's why you want to know what it is. When you hear a noise, uh, it's, it's, it's dark out there, right? There's a noise coming from the garden. Hmm? What, 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 what happens next? What is it? Is someone there? What is it? What is it? Why do you want to know what it is? You want to know whether it's friend or foe. You don't want to know whether it's a threat, right? Or, or is, it, is, it, is it something welcome? That is why you want to know what it is. Why doesn't an arahant feel that vexation? If you tell an arahant, arahant, I have something in my hand and I'm not going to show it to you. He's fine with that. Because he's not constantly judging. He's, he's, he's got off the, judge, the judging seat. And he, everyone else wants to know what it is. Because only when you know what it is, can you tell whether it's friend or foe. Is it something that I like? Is it something that I dislike? The same goes for anything. If there's an item, something, food, right? maybe you, uh, you go to a party somewhere. You don't go to parties now, do you? No? no. Okay. So if you, if you went somewhere and there's a, you know, there's a new, something you've never seen before, a new item of food, when you see it, there's a question that comes in your mind and you can't help it. You know, it's not like you switch it on. It comes on. It's automagical. Right? So you see that in what's the question that comes in your mind? What is that? What does that taste like? What does it smell like? Right? So if you were given a plate and said, go serve yourself, I, I, bet, <laughs> I bet any money, that thing is going to get onto your plate, at least one of it. If it was cut and you know, diced up into small pieces, right, at least one of it is going to get onto your plate so you can find out what it is, whether it tastes nice, whether it smells nice, right? Because you like the look of it. You've seen, the, you've seen what it looks like now, but there are a few more things that you can try and find some answers to. Looking nice is not enough. It needs to taste nice, it needs to smell nice, it needs to feel nice, right? So you're curious. You can't help your curiosity, can you? Curiosity kills the cat. <laughs> because when someone's curious, what is that curious, curiosity for? It's a curiosity to find out whether it's something that you like that appeals to you or something that hurts you. Because we, are always, we always have to protect ourselves. This is a fundamental problem when you have the self. You can't help it. Because when there's a self, you're always on the lookout for things that either are going to bring you comfort or something that's going to bring you pain. You know, imagine living in the jungle. Now you're always on the lookout, aren't you? Whether someone's going to bring you comfort, right? or maybe you might find uh, something for dinner, or it could be a predator. Either you are the prey, or it is the prey. When you live in a world where you are with jati, when your mind is with jati, you have a self, now that self has to be protected. So you're always on the lookout for things that are appealing to you, so that you can feel happy. Happiness is what you're always after. 
See, now you can't deny this. Because if, the, if jati always happens in the mind, the mind is always looking for happiness. Now you understand why you want to know what this is. Why? Happy. Is this something that makes me happy? If you're always looking for happiness, then every waking moment you're after things that make you happy. You know, your pursuit is for the pursuit of happiness. So that is what I meant by everything in this world you have a dealing with. If it's something that belongs to you, fear and grief are part of the package. If it's something that doesn't belong to you, now you still want to know what it is and if you like it, it needs to belong to you. If you don't like it, then you should keep your distance from it. So you have an interaction with everything in this world, don't you? And not just the present. Times that by three because you have the past and the future. What about events from the past? Let me tell you something that happened to me. Okay? Yesterday I fell down and I broke my leg. That is not something that happened to you, right? So it doesn't belong to you, right? That, that event doesn't belong to you. But you're interested in that event. I'm talking about the past event though. Now let me talk about an event that happened to you. Uh, you snubbed your toe on something. As you were sweeping the house, you stubbed your toe uh, on, on, on the leg of the, of the table. That's an event that happened to you. Right? That's an event that happened to, to you. That's, an, that's your event. Okay? So again, you have a liking or a disliking. So this is a past event. Now, even in the past, you are, there are things that you like and dislike. That is why there are some memories that you want to try and erase. You don't want to think about them. Are there events in your life you wish, uh, I, I, I never want to be reminded of that? And there are some that you want to be reminded of. Don't you? That you don't, why do you have photo albums? Hmm? So you can be reminded of past events. Some people take medicines so that they're not reminded of past events. So you see, the past can torment you, can haunt you when jati happens. We already talked about the present. Now what about the future? See, if this doesn't belong to you, then there's always the wish that might it belong to me one day? So you have the future. The prospect of this belonging to you in the future. Or if you don't like it, the prospect of this belonging to you or ending up with you and you don't like it, so you have to try and avoid it at all costs. So the prospect of doing that. So again now, there's a problem in the future. So you see, present, past and future. Or past, present and future, now you have problems. All because of jati. All because of separation. I'm trying to drill the, this nail into your heads, folks, that all of your suffering is because of this separation. Whenever you feel that there are separate entities in this world, right, you can't help suffering. It comes. You can't help it. You can't pause it. You can't apply the brakes on it. It just comes like a tidal wave. You can't stop it. This is a tsunami of suffering. You can't help it. It just comes and engulfs you. You can't help it. 
it's not your choice to suffer if ignorance and attachment plays tricks on you and jati happens in the mind why i'm saying all this to you is because i want you to focus that on this being the problem and nothing else because only if you focus on this being the problem will you now start finding answers to this problem what are people out there doing they've missed the plot they don't know what the problem is they think that this is my pen when i lose this i'm in grief therefore i need to go and find my pen see and they think this is not my pen yet i need to try and somehow try and get my pen get this pen and make it mine of course by pens i i you know these are you can substitute this with anything you want right so if this is not yours but you like it you want it if this is yours and you like it you have to keep it you have to protect it so fear and grief come your way this is why people suffer so this is what gurudandra was telling me pointing out all those people outside you know they've all you know they're all just living like zombies they they don't know what's going on with them because they never they've not seen the problem yet I want you to apply this principle ladies and gentlemen into your lives and and solve your problems because I can't solve your problems for you can I is it reasonable to for you to expect me to solve your problems for you I can't do that all I can do is I can teach you the principle that has helped me to solve my problems whose problems huh? my problems so we have my problems and your problems no so I, I, i'm reminded this is because recently one of our, a junior monks he came up to me and said so i'm in answer i have a problem i said yes and there's the answer <laughs> so he was t- he was telling me about how he's being troubled by some memories of his past okay so when he was a lay person some of the things he'd done and how it it, it troubles him and so what i try to explain to him and I'll, i'll share with you here because it might help you as well i said so i'm in answer the only problem that you have is not that it happened it's because you believe that it happened to you otherwise it doesn't bother you does it it happened to you when you don't think that it happens to you it was just an event it was just an event just an event but you believe that it happened to you and when you believe that it happened to you now you feel guilty that is what he he come he come to confess and he come to you know share with me how how terrible he feels about what had happened to him and how what he how he acted in that situation and you know he just wants to get it off his chest i said you know the person who did it is not the person who is here now and even when we talk about persons we are actually talking about chittas right the chitta that is responsible for the action is not the chitta that is sat down in front of me right now so why does this chitta feel that it was i who did that do you think it's fair this is completely unfair so i told him finally the problem or the error in your thinking is not what happened then it's what's happening now that is your problem your problem is not that something like that happened to you the problem is that today you feel guilty about something that someone else did so i asked him if i went and slapped someone would you feel guilty about that 
if i went and slapped someone would you feel guilty about that would you if you did what would what would you uh, you and i have to agree has happened to you huh? you've you've gone crazy right <clears throat> i'm the perpetrator but you feel guilty do you think if uh, a judge in court condemns or passes a sentence to 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 the innocent party do you think that it, that would be reasonable that you think that would be fair no but what about when you do it when guilt comes to your mind don't you feel holy huh you feel that i'll tell you this is what happens you know i've been there done that right thanks to my teachers i've i'm i've, I've been able to come out of it thanks to dhamma when we feel guilty about something that happened in the past right we feel that we are such good and nice people at that moment see how guilty i feel about what i did i'm such a nice person now <laughs> because i feel guilty about it i was a terrible person to do something like that but today i'm such a nice person i feel so guilty about what i did remember this is an enemy in disguise this is an enemy in disguise don't fall for that be very careful don't fall for it that is why whenever you come up to us and confess if ever you get a chance to do that <clears throat> you have these counseling sessions and so on if ever you get a chance to confess we will always remind you that you are not the one who's responsible for it so stop taking credit for it okay stop taking credit for it someone else does the deed you take credit for it if the father does the deed should the should the should the son be imprisoned no but when you feel guilty you feel because you know guilty is a step closer to correction than it is to error isn't it feeling guilty is a step closer to correction than it is to error because when you feel guilt you feel that you are now a better person i'm talking about what guilt does to you when you feel guilt you feel that you are a better person than you used to be I mean, and it is true this is why you feel guilt rather than rejoicing in in that deed but then when you try and confess you feel that you deserve credit for it credit for the confession and credit for coming clean credit for coming out with it and sharing it with it with someone and you think that you are you are you are now getting on your moral high horse don't fall for that <clears throat> it's okay to confess it's okay to confess right come clean say what you've done only as a means to an end if it's if it's tormenting you what you've done in the something some event of the past if it's tormenting if it's really pressurizing you and it's you know you just can't think of you can't, you can't think straight right all it's doing is just bothering you day and night right in those moments you can go and talk to someone a trusted person a teacher right a father in a church or a monk or whoever and you can confess that's fine but do remember that that guilt is a trap if guilt was a healer you would never have found yourself doing the same thing twice would you you never have found yourself doing making the same mistake twice but 
have you never found yourself in a situation where you felt guilt but then you went back and did it anyway a second time and a third time and a fourth time and time and time again so guilt never healed you guilt was just an enemy in disguise don't fall for that now you know why guilt happens because anything that is made of jati cannot be a good thing these are your chittas that arise and pass away something happened here say you took something that belonged to someone without their permission now you're here you look back at the past and you think it was you who did it yeah now you feel bad about it why because in this moment you know that stealing is bad in that moment perhaps you knew that stealing was bad but at that moment your mind was deeply vexed you wanted it so badly so therefore when what happens to a vexed mind all it does is try and relieve from vexation right so at that moment your good judgment went out the window because you wanted to get yourself what you wanted and then you got it but now you are relieved of that vexation so then now that vexation is not here to bother you but some other vexation comes in in its place the vexation of look at what i did i did something terrible guilt is also another vexation so i can't give you credit for that how does vexation happen when you want something and you don't have it that is vexation yeah then tell me how does guilt happen when you <laughs> when you want to think of yourself as a nice person as a good person right but you can't because your memory comes to haunt you look at what you did if you did that how could you consider yourself a good person now you want to be a good person but you can't because your memory comes to haunt you again vexation so vexation is only caused by ignorance and attachment no other this happens because this chitta looks at a past event and it thinks that it was i who did it so now it thinks right i should i should probably go and tell this to someone and confess so now it looks into the future <laughs> i'm going to go find my teacher and i'm going to go and tell my teacher everything that i've done hmm? and in doing so i'll be able to free myself from this pain that hurts me in my heart so now you go and make a confession you tell the teacher you know that day i did something like this and then i felt terrible about what i'd done and so now i've come to tell you all the things i've done from today onwards i'm never going to do something like that will you forgive me please and the teacher says yes yes of course i forgive you well yeah i mean clearly this person has to be forgiven because he's not done anything wrong <laughs> duh If you ask the teacher would you forgive this guy? No, of course not. <laughs> But it's not the sinner who has come for forgiveness. It's the saint. <laughs> Isn't it? It's the saint who's come for forgiveness. A saint who knows and thinks that what he's done is bad. So, who's come for forgiveness is the saint. So always you're going to be forgiven. So whenever if ever you come to me for confession, I will always forgive you. Here, yeah, forgive forgive forgiven granted. <laughs> I've already given you forgiving. I've forgiven, okay? So you don't need to come and ask me for it. <laughs> Because whenever you come and ask me to be forgiven, 
I have in front of me a saint. How do I not forgive a saint? Because it's not the sinner who comes to me. <clears throat> because a sinner never wants to go to the teacher. Because a sinner is simply looking for relief from that vexation that they have. Now, with all this in mind, I'm not talking to you and I'm suggesting that you shouldn't make confessions or anything like that. Like, here's what my teacher tells me. I've asked him on occasions, Guru Hamro, you know, when would you expect me to come to you and make a confession? And he gave me a wonderful answer. He said, whenever you can't handle yourself, whenever you feel it's just getting all too much, right? when it's bothering you and it's, 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 it's a heavy burden on your mind, you can come and talk to me then. Otherwise, don't waste my time. That is, this is the lesson that he gave me. Because if I can come to my senses and recognize that it wasn't I who did it, what's the confession to make? I need to make a confession if I feel that it is I who did it. Now, here's the other side of this. If you really want to check, okay, whether you actually grasp this concept or whether you're, whether you're being tricked, because you can trick yourself by understanding this also. You know, someone who just has the knowledge but not the, not the wisdom can trick themselves. Because you see, now you can think, ah, well, now I don't need to make, go and make any confessions because it's not I who did it, right? So I can just keep it hush-hush, nobody needs to know, right? So if you want to find out whether you are tricking yourself, here's the thing. You should be able to go and tell what you've done. You should be able to, because it's not you who did it. So you should be able to say it, shouldn't you? You understand what I'm saying? If you walk up to your teacher and then think, that, no, 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 I, shouldn't, I don't need to say this because it's not I who did it, let me go back. <laughs> now, although you know one, you think another. Yeah? Inside, you are still you are still perceiving that it was you who did it and you are still worrying and you are being burdened by that, by the weight of your, your errors, right? But you are just tricking yourself. But if you are, if you, if you can, with a sound mind, right, and, and, and uh, consciously and uh, true to yourself, if true to yourself, right, you can actually come to your senses. If anyone asks me, I can tell anybody about what I've done. It's no problem at all. But you have to be true to yourself. Okay, because you can't hide behind this veil. What is good can also be bad in the wrong hands. Right, so uh, we have our students here, right, and to be students and all of them. So what I'm telling you is, if ever you feel the burden of it, you don't have to carry that burden all by yourself. You can make a confession, but don't hide behind this but this is the truth. The truth is, you don't need to make a confession because it is not you who made the mistake. But if you still feel that you have to, then you can go and do it anyhow. Right? So nothing lost in doing it. But I was just telling you what my teacher told me. If it, if it bothers you, if it, if it torments you, if, it, if you feel like you're punishing yourself, then come and talk to me. Because... 
in most like you know in all likelihood right if i go and talk to my teacher and i say, and i tell him in fact you know i remember a long time ago i i made a confession right when i told him about my past and you know here are some of the things i'd done and how should i what instruction can you give me and i remember <clears throat> what one of the things he explained to me was well you know it's not you who's it's not you here today who's done all these things all you got to do is make a lesson out of your past right there's a teacher in the past learn those lessons and then based on those teachings you can build a better future that is the lesson we can take from our past so in fact you can make your confessions to yourselves if you're wise enough and intelligent enough to do it but that's not to say again i repeat if you need a teacher if you want to make a confession if you have the opportunity to do that by all means make use of it but i'm really more talking about guilt than confession really guilt is a trap don't fall into the guilt trap because what guilt does is remember that crushed mind i talked to you about it crushes it even further now don't you you not only have the the burden of the the error that you that you made but also the guilt that weighs on top of it it's like if you're if you've fallen on the ground someone comes and lays a ton of bricks on you it's a king to that when you've done something wrong and you start feeling guilty it's like you've fallen on the ground and someone comes and lays a ton of bricks on you does it do you any good no because one of the first things we do when someone comes and talks to us about something something bad or terrible they've done and if some of you may have experience of it you go and talk to swami no and say right and say swami no look at what i've done this is what i did one of the first things we'll do is we'll help them to understand that it is not them who did it why do we do that it is not to get them off the ground it is to remove that those bricks that weigh on them because that is unnecessary the problem is that they fell on the ground but those bricks that weigh on top of them you know that is that is unnecessary weight you don't need it perhaps you fell on the ground because you stumbled now let's go and find out where you stumbled and take that out of the out of the road maybe there was a rock on which you stumbled perhaps we have to just remove the rock metaphorically speaking here yeah? uh, we just need to remove the rock and then you can we can continue on your journey but these bricks that weigh on you they are they don't help you any bit to continue your journey so i invite all of you ladies and gentlemen you know whenever you find yourselves in a position where you are listen to the dhamma maybe guru thero sermons you know talk listen to baba vasalagati and so on and you feel like oh god i've done all these terrible things to myself and to others how terrible i was to do that come to your senses this is not a friend that has come to help you this is an enemy don't fall for that guilt is not going to help you go ahead on your journey it will just be a hindrance it will only hold you back if you can't help yourself out of your guilt go and talk to a teacher in fact talk to the teacher for for one of two things the first being to help you to come out of guilt if when you go to your teacher the teacher tells you yes yes you are a terrible person look at what you've done you're a terrible person go shoot yourself <laughs> i mean it's not a teacher you've gone to now that's not a teacher that that you've gone to because a teacher's job is to help someone stand up on their two feet isn't it is to help them back up when they're fallen so to add fire 
to add fuel to the fire is of no use. There are teachers among you, among the Anagarikas, there are teachers who were you to be teachers among you, and there are teachers in schools, like to, to other students. If ever you have a child who comes to you and they, they talk about something that has happened to them and there are parents, you know, of children, uh, when your children come to you and say they've done something wrong, something's happened, you know, don't be the one who adds fuel to the fire. Help them back up on their feet. They, it happened to them because, of their, because they had no alternative. Remember, it was not the deed that they wanted to do. They just wanted happiness. They didn't have an alternative. It is your duty now to help them back on their feet and then show them the alternative path. How do you really be happy without doing that bad deed? If you can show them that, now that is your smart parenting. That is you being a good parent. That is you being a good teacher. That is you being a good guide, a good master. So that is what we do here at the monastery. We don't beat them down, we help them stand up. So the long and short of all that, we've come to the end of our time today. People out there, they need your help. They need you to be a good example. An example that there's an alternative. An example that choosing an alternative path, choosing the path to real happiness is to be found in the Dhamma. So I encourage all of you to do that and remind yourselves constantly that there are people watching you. There are people looking at you, looking at the choices you make, just as they did when you were making the wrong choices. Today they'll be watching you making the right choices. I have great respect and great regard for our Anagarikas. Look at the choices they have made today. You know, they are a shining example to young women in our country and the world, world over. How we can all make, take responsibility for our own lives and our actions. You know, a lot of young women think that, you know, they just have to wait and see what happens to them. But you don't have to be like that. You don't have to be the victim of your circumstances. You can choose your path. You can choose what you want to do. And when the Dhamma is available, when the Buddha Dhamma and the Sangha are available, then the world's your oyster. So I welcome all of you and invite all of you in this new year, as you make a new start, right? become a shining example to all those innocent people out there who are looking for leaders, who are looking for someone to role model. They're, they're out there looking for that. You can be that person, young or old, man or woman. If you're alive, if you've got something to say, you can be, be a strong example to all of them. Do that on behalf of yourself and on behalf of all mankind. Let's transfer the merits and bring today's sermon to a close. Let us take a moment then to transfer the merits that we have all acquired by making infinite, sorry, by making offerings to the infinite virtues of the Noble Triple Gem, chanting Pirit, listening to the Dhamma, and engaging in various meritorious deeds today. First and foremost, let us remind ourselves how incredibly fortunate we are to be in receipt of the Lord Buddha's teaching. And with immense gratitude, let us transfer these merits to the bhikkhus and bhikkhunis, upasikas and upasikas, who since time immemorial have protected and preserved the sublime teachings of the Buddha and passed it down through the generations of the noble lineage in the form of the Tripitaka, which is thankfully available to us today to study, understand and comprehend the Dhamma. Let us transfer the merits we have acquired to all members of the Mahasangha present throughout the world, including the chief prelates of all of the chapters who have dedicated their lives to the noble path 
and have committed themselves to the betterment of all sentient beings. Let us not forget that among them are the monks and nuns resident in your local temples and nunneries, who have always been by your side through thick and thin, come rain or shine. Let us also transfer these merits to Guru Swami Nuhansi as well as all the teachers resident at the monastery and the Anagarikas and Anagarika communities attached to the monastery. Let us take a moment to transfer these merits and express our gratitude to those who make great efforts to disseminate the teachings of the Buddha, be that by transliterating these sermons, sharing them out with others or inviting others to join them. And may through the power of these merits, if any of them have been born in the woeful plains, redeem themselves and be born in the blissful plain. May through the power of these merits, they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us take a moment to transfer the merits we have acquired to our devotees, friends of the monastery, who for the sake of merits continue to sustain the Mahasangha. This includes everyone from those of you who have contributed to the construction of the monastery to those who provide the Mahasangha with shelter, arms, robes and medicines, as well as those who have passed on their know-how and continue to extend their well-wishes. May to the power of these merits they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble laid-fall path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also take a moment to transfer merits to our mothers, fathers, husbands and wives, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters, grandparents, uncles, aunts, cousins, nephews and nieces, our elders, friends and acquaintances, employers and employees, and to all those who have helped, supported and assisted us along the way. By the power of these merits, may they be healed of any physical and mental ailments and overcome any obstacles to their spiritual progress. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us take a moment to transmit to the devas and brahma, spirits and demons, primarily the Sakadeva, as well as all the numerous gods and deities who are committed to protect and fulfill the Sambhutasasana. Let us transmit to our guardian deities who keep a watchful eye over us and keep us out of harm's way. And may through the power of these merits, they prosper in divine power and wisdom. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us take a moment to transmit to our ancestors who have predeceased us and to all those who have been families, friends and acquaintances in this infinitely long journey of sansara, to those who have helped, supported and assisted us in every way, shape or form they could. Let us transmit to the members of the armed forces as well as the police force who have sacrificed their lives to protect the peace and harmony of our nation. And may all those who lost their lives in the war be their friend or foe, rejoice in the merits that we have acquired today. Let us transmit to all those who lost their lives in natural calamities such as the tsunamis and earthquakes, landslides, pandemics, forest fires, blizzards and so on, reminding ourselves as, that among them will be those who have been friends and family to us in this long journey of sansara. Let us take a moment to transfer these merits to them and may to the power of these merits, if any of them have been born in the woeful plains, they redeem themselves and be born in the blissful plain. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us all resolve that may, through the power and blessings of all the maids we have acquired throughout the day, we be able to witness the advent of many hundreds of thousands of arahants on this blessed land. And finally, may by the power of all the maids we have acquired throughout the day, you and I, and everyone who's helped make this program a success, become an arahat unvahanse, an arahat terane in this very life itself, and in the era of the Gautama Supreme Buddha itself. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. May the blessings of the Noble Triple Gem be with you all. And the members of the Baha Sangha will now transfer their blessings to you all.
बाल परन सुखयन सुखित तार निबान परन सुखयन सुखित तार ममदस्यलोक सियलो सत्मयो निबान परन सुखयन सुखित तार निबान परन सुखयन सुखित तार निबान परन सुखयन सुखित तार राग अनंत महागुण बलें सिलोक सिलो सत्योम निबान परम सुखें सुखित तरवे साधु साधु साधु